0: Sure,
1: I'll talk it out.
2: Yeah, let's just have a conversation.
0: Track three. <clears throat> Better not be fucking Dave Matthews bound. Okay, those of you
2: who don't want to be a part of this can leave now. Derek, please listen to me. But if you choose to stay, which. It seems like you guys are choosing. Derek, please. You understand and agree to the following terms and conditions. Derek! One. Derek, this is a virus. You topic. hereby waive your right Derek, please. to your own personal bodily integrity. This is not you. Two. I'm a per the state versus Neville Reed. My colleague and I will not be held criminally liable for any felony or misdemeanor that you may be a victim of. Including, but not limited to aggravated assault aggravated battery disorderly conduct destruction of property mayhem and first degree murder and 3 terms and conditions may change or be updated whatever the fuck i want consider yourselves notified All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up! I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. What was that rocket? What rocket?
1: I was
0: just in my office and I heard a ruckus.
2: Describe the ruckus, sir. <laughs> Does this mean we're not friends anymore? In <laughs> he me. Of I'm, me. You I'm in me. my prime. <laughs> Ain't it cool? Uh,
1: Everyone! Mm -hmm. Everyone! First you want to kill me, now you want to kiss me. Blow. Good, bad. I'm the guy with the gun. What up, everyone? DJ Anubis here with you on the Metal Tab Radio Podcast with another episode of The Hordes of Chaos, episode 192. Got a lot of great music coming your way, uh, definitely some label stuff as well. A request for Kevin Tarrant um got a couple movies i want to talk about one i just got out of the theater scene uh i'm blown away by what i just saw and i did did not expect i I knew i'd go in liking it to a degree just didn't realize i'd come out of it loving it like i did uh another one another movie that's been kind of a hot topic Uh, i'll get to it later uh it's actually been taking a beating on Rotten Tomatoes between the audience and the critics, but I think In my opinion the movie's actually better than what people are giving it credit for and I'll break that down for y'all uh, As far as my third topic yet. I'm not real sure uh, whether or not I get to it or not I, I, If I do it's probably be something quick. I was planning on doing like another movie review of some sorts But I just ran out of time this week <laughs> been really busy as shit uh, making sure I get all the music out there and whatnot. I've been doing a lot of YouTube stuff as well. So uh, we'll see how that goes when we get there. But uh, let's go ahead and uh, let's break into our first block of music. We got some brand new stuff from them. Uh, Inverse Records sending me uh, a band called Admire the Grim. And then now we have some brand new Sarcator. And I know that Kevin Turan also enjoys this band he was talking about the other day. But... I already had the promo, so here we go. Grave maggot future! Jumping into Black Panther 2 Wakanda Forever. So, yeah, I enjoyed the first Black Panther film immensely. Uh, I actually gave it a 10 out of 10, if I recall. Um, I actually went into that film not expecting to really like it as much as I did. Uh, There was a lot of talk about it. You know, of course, we talk about the wokeness of things and how it fits in with especially Marvel movie now with you know like She-Hulk and uh, I'm gonna get some of that stuff out of the way first when it comes to the this this new film so What I feel that the Black Panther films do better than say She-Hulk or uh, The Falcon and Winter Soldier and stuff like that is it doesn't try to beat you over the head with preachy stuff about like things that need to change in society or addressing, like, oppression and and stuff from the past. What I really like about Black Panther 2 is that it does these kind of things, but it does them subtly, and they also are a little bit more lighthearted about it to the point that you don't feel like they're really forcing it down your throat. Like, it's done in, in a tasteful manner. It's done respectfully to show what the the, you know this the the stuff that they're passionate about in terms of like society and how minorities are treated etc now there's not a whole lot of that in this film but when it's there it's done very fun and lighthearted, like they call martin freeman's character who makes a returning uh a return to the film as everett ross you know they call him the white colonial and there's a nice little joke at the end that uh that uh, Danae uh, Gurria, who plays Okoye, makes uh, in reference to him. Uh, so it, it, it's kind of fun. It's not done in a way that's, you know, trying to be uh, argumentative or even just disrespectful. Like I said, it's done out a, of a fun and, and just a sense of reference. Uh, so I really appreciate that about the Black... Panther films in general, like they do it better in terms of like how they want to address those things, and it's very impressive because these movies are 99 percent black people and other people of color. So it isn't like you know all of a sudden a white person woke up and said, "Hey, yeah, I'm going to address this." And no, it's not. It's black people, uh, actors and directors, etc., who are at least addressing. Uh, these things in a tasteful manner and not being preachy about it. So we'll just got that out of the way uh, So going into this film, I really thought I was gonna like it anyway uh, I just didn't realize how much I would end up enjoying this film for those that don't know the lead character uh, chachala who was portrayed by uh, Chadwick Boseman the actor uh, in the first film and in uh, Civil War Uh, the black panther he in real life got sick Um, i forget what exactly it was some sort of cancer but and how he was able to hide it at the time i know Neko and i talked about his death and everything back then when it happened uh how he's able to to stay as healthy as he was and, and do the film and everything else uh during that time is kind of amazing but he was a great loss he's a great actor and uh, so there was a lot of questions going into Wakanda Forever about how they would address that and who would eventually pick up the mantle. Now, I'm not going to be giving away a lot of spoilers here because this film, by the time you've heard this, has only been out a few days. And so I don't want to spoil for other people. I want people to get out there and see this. I think it's important. It's a really, really good film. Um, I get to a lot of that and the reasons why. Uh, and shortly. Um, but yeah. Uh, so I went in. I expected some emotion because they were going to pay tribute to Chadwick Boseman obviously. And they do so at the beginning and the end. So usually when you go to see a Marvel film or sh- TV show in Disney Plus. You'll get that like sort of collage of the Marvel logo popping up with some of the um, the different heroes that show up. Well this time the, the beginning of Panther 2 you actually have just, just some of the moments from uh, Bozeman's character in Black Panther show up at the beginning, which is a really, really nice tribute. Uh, towards the end, you have a, a an event where you just see some more highlights of Bozeman tied into the storyline, which is really great. I don't want to say with who uh, at this moment, but uh, just really, really well done. And I found myself tearing up in both instances. Like, I really... Felt the emotion from the cast and the characters and how they wrote the script of what was going on. Because in the storyline here, Chachala is actually sick, and part of that reason is because from the first movie, uh, Killmonger, who is played by. Uh, oh, shoot, what is his name? I just saw it. How do I not have that here? Ah, so frustrating. Uh, I just had, sorry. So the guy who played Killmonger, I'll get to it here in a few minutes, I apologize. Uh, He, uh, towards the end of the film, because he destroyed a plant that provides like herbs and stuff like that in terms of uh, healing, healing powers also as well as when they go to, basically when a a member of Wakanda decides they're going to be the Black Panther. They go through this, like, ritual where they take, you know, they drink this herb when it's broken down into a liquid. And they go through, like, sort of this uh, meditation and deep dreaming state where they visit loved ones and pass. In in the case of uh, T'Challa's Black Panther, he went and visited prior Panthers who had passed away previously. Um so Michael B. Jordan that's who played Killmire sorry it took me just a minute to figure that out but yeah uh, he when he destroyed the herds because he didn't want anybody to follow in his footsteps when he took over uh, during that first movie for a short period of time as Black Panther he because he was the main villain in that one he didn't want anybody to follow him. so they didn't have that flower and they, and Uh, The lead in this film is the same girl who played in the the first film as uh, T'Challa's sister, which is uh, Shuri, played by Letitia Wright. And uh, at the beginning, she's trying everything she can to save him. Uh, Even though we don't see Bozeman's character, we know that they're talking about him and everything else. Uh, And eventually, uh, the mother... uh, here we go again. Why? Why is my information not here? How stupid. <sighs> I'll get to it. Sorry, guys. Uh, the mother comes down and tells Sherry that uh, Chachala has passed away. And um, so when that happens, she's uh, she plays Romanda, the actress. I'm, it's drawn in blank, I'm sorry. And I just came out of this, so I should have my ducks in a row here. Which is ridiculous, but... Uh, so... Angela Bisect. God, I fucking forget that. <laughs> I'm so bad. Okay, so... Romanda takes over again as queen. So this is after cha death. And... What happens is she ends up going to the UN, and what she is doing, because right now the other countries, main countries like France, America, Germany, etc., uh, they're they're at the UN. The representatives of the UN and they're trying to basically bully Wakanda into sharing uh, the ammonium with uh, adamony or whatever that the the metal they use to create their technology, vibranium. Excuse me, and so. Currently, we believe that vibranium only exists at Wakanda. So that's why they protect their city so much. That's why Wakanda is generally very secretive. And uh, so she goes to the UN and she starts kind of taking the heat from a couple of people from America and from France about why they're not being very cooperative and you know, they're being difficult with sharing the vibranium source. And she says, it's because, you know, it's not that the Vibranium is a promise. It's people like you, like the other countries. We can't trust you with it. And so while this is going on, there is an attack from France on one of the Wakandian facilities that houses Vibranium. But what they've done is uh, they've laid a trap for these mercenaries or SEAL teams that come in there. And they end up defeating these guys pretty easily. Uh, again, we have um, uh, let's see who uh, like Danae Guerrero. She's she's Midnight Angel. So she's uh, Okoye, Okoye, who is one of the lead like bodyguards, female bodyguards. Uh, the, he's a spear. You've probably seen her in some of the series, and as well as like uh, the first Black Panther film. Uh, very good fighter, very good actress. Uh we do see Lapita Neon who plays Nakia later in the film. Uh she was a big part of the first one who was uh the partner of Chachala, uh but she's not in this she's not we don't see her early in the film in the second film just yet, but Okoye basically helps lead the uh the bodyguards to defeat the mercenaries. And then one day we fast forward back to where Romanda is with the UN. She she brings in her, her troops along with the, the, the mercenary, uh, prisoners. And she explains to them right then there and shows everybody in the UN, like what's been going on behind the scenes. She's like, this is why we don't share the vibranium because you're doing these secret missions to try to infiltrate our country into our facilities and steal vibranium from under our nose. And, we just can't trust you. And so they basically embarrass the shit out of France and America doing this. Um, there is a lot of other familiar faces, like uh, M'Baku, played by Winston Duke, is in there. Uh, oh, uh, okay, so anyway, we, we get introduced at some point now because we discover, the Americans discover that out in the middle of the ocean that at the very bottom of the sea there's a source of vibration they've they've got this machine that can detect it and i'll get to how that came about in just a minute but so the, they have a machine that detects it so they sent a couple of divers down these like deep sea suits because it's way down there and as these divers are down there everything's all the power starts to go out on the machines and all of a sudden like they lose contact from the surface ship to the two divers like they just they flatline and then we don't have uh any video feeds so then we have like what is the equivalent of what starts out with like a couple people in the water and one of the soldiers on the ship is looking at it. it's at nighttime so he can't really make him out clearly but he can see there's like somebody out in the water and they're singing it's like some sort of song well, we quickly learned that when more and more of these uh, people show up in the water, they start, it's like a harmonizing song, so, but it's it's like sirens. So if you think of like mermaids who would lead sailors to their death, this is exactly what's kind of happened here. So these, basically these mermaids here are singing this song, and all of a sudden every soldier on the ship is just kind of like walking overboard and pretty much drowning to their death there. So, <clears throat> Now, the lead, I think, uh, the lead girl on the ship is, um, getting together with the, uh, the, the, the captain of the seals or whatever they got on the mercenaries and they're trying to get away. Now. Like they they understand what's going on. So they put some earplugs in, they're trying to run away. Uh, we have a couple of these sea people jump up on ship. Uh, they seem to be like the right and left hand of our main guy, Namor, who I'll get to in a minute. But they're badasses. Like, they are strong and they can fuck you up in many, many ways. So, they end up just killing everybody in the end. Now, back in America, you know, dry land in the States and then across the, the world, they believe that this attack happened from the Wakandians because they're trying to protect the Vibranium. And so, right now, we don't know like obviously the viewers we know there's something else at play because these individuals that come from the water are bluish and they don't look anything like Wakandian so we know but uh, the other governments around the world don't know this and they're just assuming that Wakandia is behind the attack on this ship so we also find out that the machine that they used to discover vibranium in the water was created by a young 16 year old girl who was at college and like a genius and She unknowingly like created this machine for a project in class. And I guess somehow that information never really explained how it got out of her hands, but I guess it's, it's basically, uh, implied that her project was taken by the professor and pretty much sold to the government or given to the government to use, which without her consent, of course. Uh, now she, they don't really dive into any of that. We know that, uh, Shuri and, uh, Okoye come to take her and protect her because what ends up happening is Romanda, the mother and Shuri are are basically on a beach, uh, out in the jungles of Wakanda, uh, at night and they're trying to just kind of like let the past go. Like it's been a year after T'Challa's death, so shiri is really battling the emotions behind that uh because she really feels like she let him down by not able to save him in time so um <clears throat> they're visited by uh they're visited by a guy named namor played by tanakh hereta Mejia, and uh he does a wonderful this guy i don't know anything about this actor he's pretty very very good uh, this role was really good for him um He is almost, it's kind of weird because he comes out of the water of where they are. And, uh, he's, he's kind, he's not like the other blue ones. He's, he's regular colored skin. Um, he, uh, but he has like wings on his feet. So it's almost like he's like Venus almost, right? Or, you know, Mercury. I think Mercury's the one that's uses speed, right? So it's almost like that. But he uses it to fly around, but he can swim underwater and breathe air up up on top and below. Now the rest of his people, who are all blue, they need like little semi-jelly mass to breathe uh, when they're out of water. Uh, when they're down below, I don't think it's as necessary. I don't remember uh, if they needed that or not. But there's a point in the story where Namar is talking to Shiri uh The sister of T'Challa about his history and how he became how he came to be and his his people and I'm not gonna waste a lot of time with that because it's a longer story but uh they do go through how that happened and how he is different from the rest of his people but Namor shows up in front of uh Romanda and Shuri and gives them an ultimatum he says look T'Challa was responsible for sharing or exposing Wakanda and Vibranium to the world when he went after uh, a Winter Soldier back in Civil War. So Neymar is basically saying that he, because he did that, that he's exposing not only the Wakandians, but now his own people. Uh, they I think they call him the Talakor. It was... Tolkien Tolkien so uh, But he's even Namor among his own people is referred to The serpent god uh, Khan And uh, So he's saying Look he had to bring me the, the young scientist He doesn't even know how old she is Or anything he just says bring me the scientist I'm going to kill her so we can put this to rest And that there won't be Because he doesn't want his people or, or even him To be exposed In any way to the larger world like no one knows about them at this point except for Wakandia and uh, the Queen so he's like don't say anything to the outside world just bring me to scientists uh, I will kill her and then we'll be done like this way she won't be able to create any more things to try to like take uh, vibranium from the sea or anything like this uh, so obviously when Shiri and Okoye get to the young girl who is, uh, where is it, is uh, Riri Williams or AK Ironheart, and I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, so Riri is an MIT student, so she's there and she's very smart, like I said, and so the idea is to get her under protection because they don't want the girl to die. They find out that she is young. They don't want uh, Namor to kill her. They want to find another avenue to try to negotiate with Namor about killing this girl because she's so young. Because <clears throat> they were, and she's black. So here's one of those things that you have to wonder if um, the scientist had been a white person, does this change how Shiri and Akoi approached this or even romanda at this point like did they say to themselves well it's just another white person who's trying to steal from wakanda but it's a young black girl who created this out of mistake really of just a project she didn't have the intention of having his years an actual uh product like in terms of getting the vibranium so uh. Of course, they don't dive into all that. I just now thought about that different avenue. Now, whether or not that would have changed how the Warkandians actually dealt with the scientists that had it been a white person, I don't know. Um, I don't want to really make that interpretation without any facts behind it. But, you know, it just makes you kind of think because some of that wokeness that's in there about the mistrust of white America and the white planet, I guess, because uh, it's still kind of in there. Um, so they, they get her, but as they're trying to get the girl away, there's, there's a couple of things that happen. They had to escape out of their, her warehouse. I guess the girl was living in a warehouse or something because her parents are dead. <clears throat> so she, um, she has like this old, I believe it looks, I think it's a Hemakuda, uh, from her dad's that they have. And then there's a dirt bike. And of course she's so smart that she built this <laughs> suit and this is where the uh nickname ironheart comes into play she uh builds a suit of armor that rivals the one by tony stark and iron man so not as quite as fancy as tony's but you know she's 16 but it still does it's still very nicely made does a lot of great stuff it's not really complete yet until later in the film but uh she jets out on that uh Okoye and Shiri jet out on the bike in the car, but then they're attacked. Uh, they're being chased by cops and the FBI at first. They first someone tips them off. We don't even really find out who did that, except for Julia Dreyfus' character shows back up. And if you've been following anything of her little moments, and like Winter Soldier and Falcon or uh, Black Widow, then you would know like she has some ulterior motives, and she used to be married to. Uh, Martin Freeman's character Ross so we find out there was a a marriage there with them so anyway uh, they're attacked well they're chased by the FBI and cops first and then they're attacked by the water people now we have discovered through at this point that the water people are actually uh, Mayans Mayans so their heritage is from the Mayan culture Aztecs and all that so that's the background of them uh, like I said it, it, there is a portion that explains how they got to be water people so don't fret if I'm not giving it to you here I just want you to go see the fucking movie uh, <laughs> in that respect um, but they are Mayans and anyway the the two right hand and left hand I talked about show up and they really uh, as much as Akoyi tries to hold her own uh, the one main dude like he really fucks her up pretty bad he doesn't kill her but He's able to really knock her around pretty easily. And then even the, the more like peons that Okoye kills, they end up getting back up and walking away. So they've got a bit of a strange power uh, about them. Uh, and they do have, since they do have access to vibranium, they does give them good armor and weapons as well. So they end up getting, what ends up happening is they're going to try to, they were going to pick up uh, Riri, the, uh, the young girl, But they also end up taking Shuri, who is able to use a translator to understand their language. And so they all take both of them to uh, Tolokan, which is their city or whatever uh, that Neymar and them uh, reside in. And uh, there's like some good moments where Neymar is talking with Shuri in a way that she understands about protecting the people and, you know, his heartbreak. And also about a vengeance and revenge because of what happened to Neymar's mother. So that plays a big factor towards the end of the film. Uh, now I won't get into too much more because you know. There, I, one thing I will say though is the the choreography fight scenes are great. I really really like these. In fact, I like this film more than the first one, which I didn't think would be possible uh but i i really like this story the story is really strong the villain is sh- very strong but also uh somewhat relatable so there's a of empathy for Neymar a little bit here um but yeah just you know I, i'm not going to tell you who ends up becoming black panther but there is a moment that someone actually dons the suit at the end and uh Going into this year, like, I've seen a few movies here and there, obviously. But as far as, like, theater movies, right? Top Gun Maverick was, like, the best one I'd seen up until this point. But uh, Black Panther 2 uh, is beating it out. And, I mean, it's always both films get 10 out of 10. But if I can give Black Panther uh, 11 out of 10, I would. Uh, It's just that good. Um, I did not expect that at all. And even if you take all the emotion of Bozeman, you know, and his passing and the tributes and everything, <clears throat> this film is still still very strong. And I think that's why I kinda of give it the edge over Top Gun, because as good as Maverick is, uh it's its blueprint is still very similar to the first film. Whereas this one is an entirely new uh plot line and execution and just the action is great, uh the the subtle comedy bits are good uh i found myself and people in the the theater kind of giggling uh at the young girl playing riri uh the young mit student you know like she has some funny things that she says and whatnot but the acting is top notch like it's just really really good in this film and i just so enjoyed it but uh yeah so definitely my favorite film of 2022 uh and top gun is very close behind it but this one out did it, and I didn't think it would be possible, especially if we we're here in what November. Uh, so get out there and see it, folks. It's worth it uh, if you're a Marvel fan, obviously. I know there's some of the other Marvel products uh, can be a little disappointing um, for one reason or another. It just depends on who you are, though. I mean, I know a lot of people who love Miss Marvel and She Hulk just the way they are. Uh, I enjoyed Werewolf by Night, uh, that was something totally different for me. i of course, a Werewolf fan, but. Uh, it was different than anything I'd seen with She-Hulk and Miss Marvel, but this Wakata forever is like a whole another monster and uh, Yeah, so I in case you missed me on YouTube or even on Broncos forums or anything wherever you follow me from and follow Neko and I from I made a little meme earlier today because I was laughing about the idea I was going to go see this film so For any of you who had seen Napoleon Dynamite from, like, 2004, I think it was, uh, there was a character in that film uh, named La Fonda. And she was the girlfriend of one of the white dudes who played Napoleon's brother in that film, Skip. And uh, (laughs) I couldn't help it as I was washing dishes that I was sitting in. I was thinking, Wakanda forever, Wakanda forever. And then I thought, wow, La Fonda forever. And so I made a meme with that, with those two in the picture, and I just, I couldn't stop laughing. I know it's silly, but it just struck me funny when it happened, and I just had to make it, and it was just so funny. But none of that has anything to do with this film. This film is just so goddamn good, and I couldn't praise it enough. Get out there, see it, enjoy it, and get get back to me in the comments, man. Let me know what you think either on social media or on the comments for the website. Just you know, let me know what you think, because I'm very curious what people really... It's got a lot of high marks on uh, Rotten Tomatoes, which is good, uh, but that doesn't always tell you the story of how people feel about the film, so uh, let me know. Alright, in the next two blocks, I have some brand new stuff from Dark Throne, Black Anvil... Uh, got some new stuff from Abyssic, which will be kicking us off, um, and then I also have some classic material from Curse. So here's Abyssic with Chronicle of the Dead. <laughs>
2: This is Blake from Pig Destroyer, Hate Beak, and Zelda RIP. And you are listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko at Metal Tavern Radio. Get into it now.
1: DJ Nubis here, and I want to say if you dig all things Godzilla and KG-related and check out the YouTube channel of the Sci-Fi Century. He has great reviews, opinions, and theories in the world of sci-fi horror, anime, and of course, everyone's favorite atomic breathing lizard, Godzilla. Century provides great commentary when both having a special guest on his shows as well as the collaborations with the big teddy bear, that fat samurai guy. So if you want to keep it raw, real, tune into the Sci-Fi Century. That's... S-C-I-S-I-S-E-N-T-R-Y, Sci-Fi century. Tune in to get the best in science fiction and Godzilla related information. Peace. Alright, getting ready to jump into our rock block for today. Got some brand new stuff from Therian. Silver Nightmares. King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Got some new Fear Factory. Now, this isn't like a new uh, song per se, but you know how Fear Factory is. They like to take some of their older material and then they remix it like they did with Remanufacture over Demanufacture, if you remember that record. So I have a a song that they've reworked called Empire's Fall, and it's, it's still got a little bit of crunchiness in there. It's not totally like techno or anything like some of the other songs they've had in their catalog but uh thought it was cool it's called recoded it's out there now so uh or will be coming soon so i got a little bit of that in there did get a chance to hear devin towns's new uh album light work that came out i played you uh light work the other day uh but i had a chance to check out both uh cds on there so you have uh light work which is the first cd and then night work which is the second one the second one Nightwork has a little bit more uh, Rocky stuff in there and metal stuff A little bit mixed in uh, Lightwork is pretty much a lot of his More mellow stuff that he does So uh, be expecting that If you're going to listen to it But I really really like the record It's not a perfect record for me But uh, I still love me a lot of Devin Townsend. Like I really don't come out of any of his records Disappointed uh, in, the, in the, As far as like You know really low scores or anything So Uh, Still about an eight or nine out of ten for that record. I still enjoyed it and I'll probably dive more into it as time goes on Uh, But uh, to kick off the rock block today uh, Kevin Turan one of our biggest fans at Metal Tavern Radio uh, has been doing some promotional work for different artists here and there and uh, one of the artists he's been working with is Victoria fire and uh, Got a song for request here called fire and I think it's their new single. So Let's get it all kicked off. Here's Victoria Fire with Fire.
2: Fire!
3: Everybody, this is Mr. Joshua Gray, your live gameplay DJ, live weekday mornings every day, but Hump Day, playing Mortal Kombat or other games occasionally, and featuring a number of different artists. So come on by, grab your breakfast, and enjoy some fatalities. Mr. Joshua Gray on YouTube, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 8:00 to the moon. And you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Necco on Metal Tavern Radio.
1: Hey there, this is Hugo Flores from Factory of Dreams, and you're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Enjoy the music. Alright, some uh, Devon Townsend closing out that rock block, and uh, I did find a topic I will talk a little bit about, Uh, it won't be very long, but... uh, we'll go we're sort of playing back to that fear factory right so for those who haven't been paying attention burton bell uh the original singer fear factory uh left in 2020 uh after doing the aggression continuum record with uh fear factory and uh he's always had like uh on and off relationship with dino sarah's in terms of like working like they just don't always get along uh you know, it's mainly because it's almost like the Jeff Tate thing where the singer wants to be a little more mainstream, a little more uh, poppy in a sense of what he's looking for. Like, you know, because uh, Burton has always kind of been fascinated with making music that's a little more accessible uh, to listeners. So... Uh, he does still like aggressive stuff, but just not on the level that Dino and some of the other members have. And of course, uh, I don't think a lot of the other members that are were originally with the band are gone now. Christian Walbers is no longer there. Uh, Raymond Herrera, also not with the band. So he's got Dino's got a couple other guys, Campos, and another guy who's filling in doing this stuff with the band now, but so recoded was basically just what dino was doing in downtime while they're waiting to go out on tour for 2023 is basically they were fighting through the covid period uh fighting through the fact that Dino's not or uh that uh burton has left the band and no longer with them so there's an article on blabbermouth.net uh where dino's being interviewed and they're asking him similar questions that really the the metal community and fan base of Fear Factory has been asking. Is like, who is Dino going to get to replace Burton? And so, Dino's Dino and everyone has been very tight-lipped. We have no idea who's going to be the singer. Dino has somebody that is going to do it. Uh, this is somebody that just says that will be able to pull off both the rough and clean vocal work that's expected of Fear Factory. That's one thing I was wondering about. Uh, for the band going forward is whether or not uh, the singer was gonna stick to one particular uh, vibe or even do both I'm assuming because of all the past material they've got to be able to be a dual vocalist in that in that aspect unless you were going with two vocalists but I don't think that's the case uh, at least by what the interview and the impression that I get from Dino, he's got a guy that can do both but uh, One of the major complaints uh, for Burton was that he had a hard time performing stuff live that he did on studio records. And I can kind of see that now. I saw, I saw, I've seen Fear Factory like two or three times throughout their career. So the first one dating back to 92 during The Soul of the New Machine, they opened up with, uh, opened up for Sepultura, Fudge Tunnel, and Clutch. So. It was down when it had Hammerjacks in Baltimore when it was still around. And I just, unfortunately, I think I we walked in with my friend and I. We walked in when Fear Factor was finishing up the last two songs. They were like the opener. So they were probably only on for like 30 minutes, 20 minutes or 30 minutes. Uh, but I remember standing outside in the uh, line trying to get in. And I heard the indistinguishable uh, voice of Burton. I'm like, holy shit, Fear Factory's on. And I didn't even know they were playing that night. Like I, when they advertised, it was Suburbs being, uh, the headliner, and then you had Fudge Tunnel. That was really kind of like they didn't. I think they did mention Clutch, but Fear Factory wasn't even listed on the bill. So that was like a surprise that I missed, unfortunately, at least for most of it. But I was excited that they were there. And from what I heard, uh, Burton didn't sound bad uh, that night. Now I saw. Fear Factory again during Obsolete when they were doing um, Ozfest and they were on the smaller stage on that tour and I could hear the problems there. Now it may not have all been directly related to Burton. Like I know that I've seen a few Ozfests in my my time and I saw Megadeth one year and they sounded terrible and I, you know I can I can only chalk that up to really more of the sound people on there but the they, running complaint with Burns is that he's just not able to do the type of vocals that he does on, on studio records versus live. And that, and sometimes it's kind of funny because I'm one of those people that feel like live bands at times can be overrated unless they're just designed to be a live band. So let's take a band like Slayer or No Mas, for instance. I just saw No Mas last night uh, down at the Auto bar Uh... Nomos is a band that's designed to be a live act. Like, like you don't like their studio work. When you hear a record, is is just ferocious. But when you see that band play live, it's a whole fucking different animal. And I know I'm blowing smoke up these guys' asses. I'm friends with them, and I love this band a lot. But that's just the truth. Dude, like I I wouldn't steer you wrong here if you ever see nomos live that's just a different experience entirely from their music their music's already amazing but you go and see these guys play they're just fucking ferocious up there and relentless in fact they played their set last night and didn't even bother to stop and address the crowd like usually you'll have like breathers where they'll come in and say hey guys how's it going tonight even if it's uh henry the drummer doing it from the back of the kit you, you know uh but they didn't bother, dude. They just ran through their set list, and just, outside of like a couple of drinks here and there, it was just they were just killing it. And I, I really appreciate that because they were just—they're just a no-nonsense band. Uh, it's really just no nonsense. They get up there, they know know what their business is, and they they do it well. And uh, but, Fear Factory, you know. They're really designed to be a studio band. Like, I listen... I Look, I grew up loving Fear Factory a lot. I still do. I still like a lot of the records. But I can tell the difference between what they are able to do in the studio versus what they do on the road. And Missy and I, Neko and I, saw Fear Factory again at the Rec Theater in Towson some years ago. Uh, with Mastodon, I think, that year. And it's the same thing. Mastodon sounded fantastic. But... Fear Factory didn't. I mean, they were okay. It was an inside venue as opposed to the outside with Ozfest, but something about the way that that type of music comes through on a live setting is just vastly different and how it's put together. It's got all the bells and whistles for the studio stuff. Like, you can do very well, and you can have no outside issues and everything's contained in the studio. Uh, but when trying to do that shit live, it, it's a it's a whole different animal, and so only certain bands are able to really take what they do in the studio and bring it to the live setting. Because really, the live settings where their meat and potatoes are that's where they that's where they get all their fans. That's where they d- uh, develop the name for themselves. It's not just the the records. It's it's how you perform them when you get on stage, and no moss is one of those bands that just gets up there, no nonsense. And like I said Slayer, I've seen them over the course of the last 30 years at different points of their time. So 1990 with Clash of the Titans all the way to about 2 or 3 years ago when they did their Farewell Tour. They are always tight. They sound fucking amazing. Because they're designed to be a live band. And so in this case with Dino and what he's going to do for this tour coming up whether or not his vocalist is able to perform those songs and whatever new stuff they do going forward in the live environment, that's really going to dictate how that band is going to be received going forward. Um, Because especially since they're not really doing a new record to tour for next year they're just going off of the last one. So the only expectations of the singer is, is he's going to be able to perform these tracks in a live environment. That's his. That's what everyone's first taste is going to be uh, whenever they announce who it is and when they get out there and tour. So that, to me, is going to be very interesting. Um, but the one of the reasons why Dino isn't telling anybody and why no one else is saying anything is because they don't want to bring any unnecessary hate on the guy until they've actually heard him which is fair because look burton bell despite the uh, issues in the live environment is an incredible singer really was uh at least for me like i just i grew up really really loving his his vocal work but i had to admit that like it's more of what he did on the records and what he did live and that's really a big difference for me but if this new guy comes in and they still can't convey what was on record to the live environment well then it's not so much about whether or not you still need Burton it's just a matter of they're just not a very good live band so you know I'm gonna be researching it when they start touring I'm gonna start looking up for YouTube videos just to see what it's gonna be like because you know I don't wanna waste my money going to see a band that I've seen a few times before and they just don't sound great uh and it can't always be someone else's fault. It's just because your music doesn't translate that well in a live environment. Um, there was another ish thing that they were discussing in the interview about the past catalog for Fear Factory. So, Roadrunner holds the rights to, like, probably everything up to maybe even Obsolete. Yeah, I think Obsolete was on Roadrunner too. So I think Digimortar was the first one that was off of Roadrunner. And so basically in the interview, Dino was basically explaining that at one point Roadrunner came to them and said, look, we will sell you the rights to your first few albums for this price. And Dino said it was way too much what they were asking. They didn't have the money. So apparently because Dino and company couldn't afford the rights to the old material, roadrunner now has those albums forever as far as like any kind of uh, monetization and royalties that come the way from anything that's used from those records so the, the impression i got from dino in this interview was that he may not even play anything from uh the old records although he did mention resurrection had to be played live but i don't know how far back he's gonna go like he only listed a lot of the more recent records in the last ten or fifteen years, as far as like, you know, a couple of songs here or there off of these records. So, what does that really mean? Like, cause some of their best materials off of D manufacture as well as Solvent New Machine. So I don't know. What what are they gonna do there? Like, you know, it seems a little bit strange. Um, uh, yeah. So it, it just it's something to be interested in uh, going forward for your factory. Um. You know, I I still love the studio records. They're, they're not as great as they used once to once were. Uh, as far as myself, because like I've only since over the last few records, it's only been like a few handful of songs here and there that I really enjoyed, even with Burton on vocals. So, uh, I'd be kind of stoked if Fear Factory on the next new record, if they actually went back to like the first couple of like D like a cross between D manufacture and Soul, would be really kind of awesome to get back to some of the roots and more uh raw uh stuff from fear Factory, but you know dino is one of those guys that still likes the industrial stuff as well that's why you get stuff like recoded which is remixes and stuff he likes doing that um so i don't know what to expect from that but yeah all right well let's get back into our music and then we've got uh my second movie review after that but uh here's uh I got brand new stuff from Rithe, uh, pro- provided by Grand Sounds Promotions. Anthropophagus is new stuff in there, but new psionic madness. Mutated natural selection. <laughs>
3: What's up everyone, this is Richie from Grave Huffer, and you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Rank it the fuck up.
1: Alright, we are back, gonna talk a little bit about 2022's "Don't Worry, Darling" came out probably about a month or so ago. Um, this is a strange movie in a lot of different ways. So, leading up to the release, uh, the the behind-the-scenes, like on the media and all that, had like a lot of like drama. So. Uh, let's let me get you to first what the movie is about. So don't worry, darling. Is a a movie that's directed by Olivia Wilde, who also s- stars alongside Florence Pugh, Harry Styles, and Chris Pine. Those like the majors in this film. Uh, the premise is a 1950s housewife living with her husband in a utopian experimental community begins to worry that his glamorous company could be hiding disturbing secrets. Um so before we get into the movie a little bit the drama that was surrounding it uh was very interesting because basically olivia wilde uh had gone into promotion for the film same with florence Pugh, and they both as they're promoting it come away with different Ways of doing it, they're cut, they're at odds of what. So, basically, Florence has is taken issue with how Olivia Wilde's kind of like promoting the film. So, Olivia is out there in the public and she's saying, Yeah, there's a lot of hot, sexy scenes between Harry Styles and Florence. And uh, and Florence is like, You know, the movie is much more than just that. And uh, the other issue that was on the side was initially Harry Styles' character or role was supposed to be Sheila LaBeouf, who eventually got let go or let. But the drama behind that was that Olivia had gone on, on publicly and said that she had fired Shia LaBeouf uh, for whatever reason uh, that she had. And she is like, uh, no, that didn't happen. She, he actually provided video of a conversation he had with Olivia where she was trying to keep Shia on the film but said that there were some issues with uh, Florence Pugh uh, having issues on the set. So there's a lot of like things that are were being basically uh, exposed on behalf of Olivia Wilde of not being uh, legit or being for, forward about like stuff that she was saying publicly. Uh, not to add in the fact that She's now actually dating Harry Styles, who's like probably like I don't know, ten or fifteen years younger than her. I don't know, but it's not that super big deal because he's old enough to choose who he wants to be with. But that was that was a thing with people uh, in terms of their age gap and whatnot. But um, so you had all that back drama. Now the mo- the movie itself on Rotten Tomatoes is actually getting crushed. Like it's in the low. 20s and 30s, I think, in terms of critical acclaim and uh, the audience enjoying it. And I don't know what the reason, I don't know if that's just a bunch of people getting in there and hammering it because of the shit that went off screen or whatever. Uh, Some of it could be, some of it might not be. When I viewed this film, I went in with kind of low expectations. I mean, I'm not talking that low, though. I'm talking probably, I'm thinking. Because when I saw the trailer, I did a reaction with Neko for it, and you know it looked promising, like it looked interesting. Had like some looked like it had some twists and stuff, and uh, so I went in probably thinking, you know, maybe Lois would be a six, maybe right? So it'd be like sixty percent. Um So basically, um, Florence Pugh plays Alice, and her husband is Harry Styles' character Jack. And Olivia Wilde, playing the character of Bunny, is actually Alice's neighbor. So they live in, like, this cul-de-sac in the middle of a desert. But it's like a utopia because they have their own little town there. And the men, this is, like I said, it's all the 1950s. So the men are basically getting up every morning during the week, getting in their old, you know, cars and driving away towards a mountain where supposedly their job is. While the women in that cul-de-sac or the the, the town stay at home, take care of the kids and clean and do all, you know, talk gossip and stuff like that. So it's your atypical, uh, what do they call it, um, American life, you know, at that time period. So uh, Chris Pine plays Frank, who's basically the head honcho of the company that Jack works for. And the other guys in the community, the other husbands. Uh, He has his own wife, of course, Shelly, played by uh, Gemma Chan. And so basically, what ends up happening is it it just seems like you're, you know, run-of-the-mill town with families and whatnot. And so every so often, Frank will throw little parties for the husbands and their families. It's like big blowout blowers. Or they have cookouts or whatever. So it it seems like a very tight-knit, community-friendly neighbors. All friends with each other. Uh, But there is one particular neighbor, Margaret, uh, played by Kiki Lane, who isn't acting like everyone else. She's saying that Frank and everything is not real and that uh, it's all a charade and nothing seems right now keep in mind some periodically throughout the movie there's like these earth tremors or quakes that happen and, you know everyone everyone braces for it they, they kinda know what's going on cuz like the women know their husbands work for the government for some secret project right so when that happens, you know, you start to wonder what the fuck are they even working on uh, out there in the desert, you know, because the women are not allowed to leave. They're not allowed to ask questions like it's a big no-no to dive into the personal work of the men. Uh, but everyone, for the most part, seems very happy. They're, they're you know, the women seem generally happy uh but Alice grows concerned about Margaret because she's just not acting like everyone else and, and she's concerned because they are friends and of course Bunny says that Margaret kind of brought it on herself because she's been alienated from their little clique you know with the girls she says well she just brought it on herself you know she apparently lost her young son out in the desert because she wandered out there and that she, you know, everyone's blaming her for the death of the son or even though you, they can't find him uh, now Margaret says that Frank and the other uh, work people there took her son as punishment for wandering out in the desert. Now the thing you will notice also is, you'll see these men in like orange jumpsuits apparently uh, occasionally appear in the film. They like clean up crews and uh, repairmen or whatever, uh, but they look kind of sketch. Like you just doesn't really fit. Like it looks really weird. So, uh, one day Alice sees Margaret on top of her house and these are just like one story ranchers or whatever, but she sees Margaret up there and Margaret like takes a knife and basically cuts her on throat before falling off the roof to the grass. Now Alice starts running to go see if she's okay or help her and she's immediately grabbed by two dudes in jumpsuits who drag her back and then, uh... They eventually tell her that, you know, Margaret's been rushed to the hospital and that she'll be away for a while, uh, but they don't tell her that she's dead. They just say, no, she just had a fall. So that's really weird, right? So you, you start to develop a sense of uh, skepticism about what's going on in the town. And then one day... Uh, Alice is just kind of bored of sitting at home so she jumps on the local bus they have a bus that runs around the town and whatnot but it stays only in one path it doesn't deviate from any roads or anything so one day she's just out there riding and the bus driver's like are you going anywhere in particular and she's like no I'm just riding for you know to get out of the house but then she sees like this plane uh in the sky that's Seems to be in trouble, so it crashes behind like a, a little mountain hill. Now she wants the bus driver to run out there, uh, drive out there to another road, and and take her to go see whoever's on the plane is okay. Driver won't do it. He he's, he you know he says we can't leave. I can't leave this path. This is where we got to be. We can't be wandering out there. And she's like you, you know you're just a monster. You don't care. So she gets out on foot and walks which seems like a pretty long way. I mean, it's hot out there. Like I said, it's like a desert. Uh, I guess you can think of it as almost like uh, Area 51 type locale or, you know, uh, scenery. So she makes her way up this hill and she comes to this building. And it has windows that are kind of mirrored. So it's not super mirrored, but it's enough to not allow you to see what's inside. And so she uh, she gets up to it, and she ends up just, like, putting her hands on the window, and then she, like, passes out. Like, everything turns red as far as, like, the screen, and then she passes out. Uh, she wakes up back at home in bed, and uh, Jack is cooking dinner, who doesn't normally cook dinner, but he's doing it because he's supposedly allowing her to sleep. Uh she starts talking about how, well, how'd I get here? And he's like, well, I don't know. You were here when I got here. And I guess the, uh, implication is that she just kind of imagined the airplane and everything else that was going on. So, uh, quickly that, you know, it quickly kind of resolves itself and she's kind of back on track as far as, like, playing happy wife and house, you know, house cleaner or whatever. And, uh but eventually she starts having like these dreams and kind of flashes of some other stuff in her mind that she can't really place like it doesn't make any sense and so slowly but surely uh she starts to unravel this mystery about what's going on uh with the men and where they're going and what they're working on and she starts questioning frank and everything comes back to margaret about like what she was saying and so eventually without like you know the movie still it's been out for a little while but not super long so i don't want to spoil it for anybody obviously but this movie has a bit of it's not entirely like it but if you were to compare it to other films and and you'll get the idea if you've ever seen these films at all is it's got a little bit of stepeopard wise as well as the matrix uh, involved in this so you're in for kind of a ride um eventually when it gets to a certain point like okay now I understand what kind of what's going on uh, but We don't really know exactly who's behind it or why. And. uh, My biggest complaint with the film really is. The ending and how everything unfolds. Doesn't really satisfy. Like it doesn't come to a satisfying conclusion for me. Uh, I know what Olivia Wilde was trying to do. In terms of uh the storytelling and whatnot but I would say the last half hour is not executed as well as the earlier part of the film like the most of the film uh Florence Pugh excellent I I really really like her as an actress she's always stunningly beautiful um she doesn't disappoint to me in this film there are A couple scenes with Styles that are uh, a bit racy with sex, but it's not really. But you can't see anything. It's not. I think they made bigger deal out of the sex scenes than they really were. Like one is just Styles' character, uh, basically going down on Alice on the on the the dinner table when she's cooking. You know, she has cooked dinner, but they decide to have sex. Um, The other one is they're at like a, a, a gathering. With Frank and company, and they sneak into a a room in the house, and you know they start having sex, and Frank actually walks in on them, but uh, Jack doesn't realize it, but Alice sees Pine or sees Frank standing there, and Frank just kind of smiles and then walks away. Um, but that's really about as raunchy as it gets, and that's really about the only type of sex that you see in the film uh, or simulated sex but uh the the all the whole ordeal from the trailer or from what olivia wilde was going on it didn't really m- come out the way that they were trying to make it be like it wasn't this big it's not like uh blue velvet or some you know cinema uh, skinamax film you know b-rated uh Booby film or some shit like it. it's not like that at all it, it, i mean the, it, it seems somewhat out of place but when you realize what the underlying message of the movie is regarding the men and the women uh you'll understand it more of what is being driven in the storyline so uh like i said rotten tomatoes pretty much gave this i've been given this film around between like a 30 to 40 percent like it's just not being well received that much uh, I don't think it's near as bad as this, as the scores are showing, I, and I don't know again the reasons why. It's not that the story is very isn't very original, but it's executed pretty much pretty good except for that last half hour. Like I said, you don't get like a lot of satisfaction with the end, uh, at least for me, because I I wanted a little bit more there in terms of like um, accountability and like who I wanted to like meet like a really bad death or you know something like that um so i would i'd give it about a seven like i, I enjoyed it enough i won't go back to it because it's not that high up on my list but uh if you're a florence Pugh fan she does a great job in this uh she really does and uh that's really the uh price of admission to really check this out uh it is a cool story it's a good idea. Uh, just not executed very well, uh, at least for that half, last half hour or so. Um, but, yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Uh, so, okay. Uh, it's on HBO Max, too, so if you have that, that's where it's being shown. Now you don't even have to go to the theaters anymore. It's on there. All right. Back into our music, closing this motherfucker out. Uh, a couple of tracks kicking off this next block from uh, Methane. And here's Howler with Panzer 666.
3: Introducing the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast. Available today on your favorite podcast platform. Metal Tavern is a heavy metal, rock music, and movie podcast where they discuss movies, music, current events, and feature live interviews with bands, artists, and YouTube personalities. They spotlight independent labels and feature the underground bands the label represents. Again, that's the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast. Stream it today on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podbean, YouTube, and at the website metaltavernradio.com Many episodes up for you to listen to already and make sure you subscribe to be notified of future releases. That's the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast. Go listen, download and subscribe today. You can also connect on Facebook. Search Metal Tavern Radio and follow the guys on Twitter at DJAnubis88 and DJ underscore nico Punishment!
1: a sea of doom insanity reigns supreme dj nubis here with you on the Military time radio podcast getting ready to bid you all farewell hope you enjoyed the show uh neko will be back what is today friday so yeah she should be back in time for the next podcast uh, but you never know, sometimes she has delays, but uh, I believe she should be back around Thursday of next week. So should be back in time, and uh, I'm sure you all missed her a lot, and I did. I missed her tons, uh, like my partner here with me. But uh, at the same time, we got to pay the bills, make sure everything's getting done, that we can continue to do this. It's not something that pays us hardly anything at all doing this stuff obviously we have to work day jobs but either way we do appreciate the support and uh obviously the more people you tell about it share and you know bands etc the the word spread the word about us at metal tavern uh we do want to grow as a station as a podcast as well as our youtube stuff so so far so good uh but we can always use more fandom thanks again for tuning in hope you enjoyed the music and the topics uh, hopefully i didn't give too much away for either film that i talked about today but uh i tried to avoid spoilers at all possible the rest of the movie's been out for a while but neither one of these have been out too long so got one last track for you uh classic terrorizer this is fear of napalm and you all take care of yourselves